What is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. My guest today is running coach Mark Bottenhorn. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing really well, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Awesome. I'm, uh, I'm glad to talk to a fellow Midwesterner, even though, you know, you're from Michigan. I guess that's okay. I'll, I'll chit-chat with you anyway, and we can probably reminisce about how awful the weather is. Even though today today in uh, in DFW, it's it's kind of gloomy. It's a little rainy, but... Uh, yeah, it's like it's like uh, May in Michigan, so... There you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, let's jump right into it, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself as far as, like, your... Uh, your athletic background, your academic background, professional background, what you do now, and uh, kind of all of that. All right, cool. So my name is Mark. Obviously, I'm a running coach, and I work uh, corporately for New Balance Running. Um, and I am a father, a husband, um, an ultra endurance athlete, and a powerlifter. And I played college soccer and then post collegiate soccer. Nice, very cool. So. Uh, you kind of just were real smooth with the ultra endurance and then power lifter. And yeah. like that, I don't think has probably ever been uttered, uh, probably more than a hundred times ever. So that's, that's seriously what we're here to talk about today. Um, is an ultra, an ultra distance athlete, let's say, right. Yeah. Who, who's, not scared to lift some heavy weights. So as a uh, as a sport performance coach and a strength and conditioning coach, specifically f- specifically for endurance athletes, adult endurance athletes here in Dallas, uh, there's times where I have to, you know, drag my athletes into the weight room kicking and screaming because they're like, no, 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 I don't need to lift weights. I run every day. That's strengthening my legs. And I'm like, no, it's really not. So uh, when I came across, you know, your, uh, your Instagram profile and, you know, was able to see not just like the physical transformation where you're, you know, you're look like a typical, you know, skinny distance runner You're on the more muscular side of that, but, but definitely there. And then to see like, Whoa, okay. Now he's jacked, like super jacked, but you're still running really fast times. Um, I think that's super intriguing. So I would love to, uh, discuss that today. So yeah, cool. I'm 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 excited to you're you're too complimentary. I don't know if I'd call myself Jack, <laughs> but I'm happy to be here and, and and discuss this with you for sure. Well, you're you're at least strong, based off you know the numbers that you're putting up, which is which is very res- respectable. Both uh, uh, like five k times and deadlift you know poles, which is awesome. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about your history with the sport of running like what how long have you been doing that as far as like where you consider yourself a runner yeah so that's really interesting because i don't know if i've ever considered myself a runner i've had a bit of a identity crisis with running pretty much my whole time uh in the sport but i mean if you really look into it i mean even when i was like eight or nine you know years old i remember just like my cousin and I would just would just be out like trail running and running, not intentionally, just doing it because we love to do it, or we'd like recreate World's Strongest Man. We were doing like CrossFit before like CrossFit was a thing. That's my. <laughs> I feel like I'm the first ever CrossFit champion in truth. Nice, because uh, I beat my cousin because I was one of them. And um, you know, so it's like I don't know, like pushing my limits, uh, running and kind of lifting have always been central to my identity, uh, athletics in general. But I didn't start running seriously until you know, I was done playing post-collegiate soccer. So I, uh, I jumped in like five Ks for, you know, for fun with my friends and everything like that. And I'd run for like 20 mile runs in my indoor soccer shoes, like on the weekends wow. during high school, just for fun. Like, you know, nice. I don't know, some of them could have been like 12 miles and some could have been like 20. They just seemed to be like all day events, but nothing really, nothing really standardized until, um, you know, I had two, I, where I played soccer at, there was a really, really good cross country program. And, um, Two of the two of the athletes that were really good friends with me were both like Olympic trials level athletes, and mm. they uh, I'd always talk to them about running. I was always fascinated, obviously. And when I was done playing soccer, I kind of gave it a go. So 
in a lot of ways, I was trained right from the beginning by them. So I didn't have to make all those beginner mistakes and things like that. And it kind of just took off for me. So that would be about back in 2015 when that whole thing started. So six years ago now. Gotcha. So that's still real recent, you know, yeah. like that. In terms of competition. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, just 2015 just feels like, oh, like that was, that was like a couple days ago. It does. Um, yeah. <laughs> time's rolling quick. So, uh, so you said like, you know, you're, you're doing CrossFit type stuff as you're, as you're growing up. So like, you're always really interested in, in lifting as well. Yeah, I mean, like, we were doing things like carrying logs through the woods, like, racing mm-hmm. with them and, like, just dragging stuff and, like, throwing – just anything you could think of. Uh, so I've always been really interested in, in in both of those. I mean, they're they're both really important to me. And as far back as I can remember, they've, they've just always been a huge interest of mine. Nice. That's awesome. That's one of those things that, uh, like, people tend to probably gravitate towards one or the other as far as, you know uh, – like even if you're playing sports, like you're either playing a sport that's a little more power based where lifting and strength and conditioning is, is kind of baked into it, or you're doing a sport where mm, that's not really necessary. Sure. Do some core, but you know, just run or just bike or just swim. So I think that's, that's pretty unique and, and is probably one of the huge reasons right now that, you know, you're having the success that you are, which is pretty cool. So um, so you do some, some coaching, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your philosophy of coaching, your philosophy of training, um, for the runners that you work with. So I'm extremely fortunate to be able to work with a number of runners that come from a lot of different backgrounds, um, and have different goals and compete in different events. So, um, all of them are pretty much rooted in endurance sports though. So, I work with a lot of like, I work with some Spartan pros. So people on the Spartan pro team, some elite obstacle course. Oh, I lost you. Are you still with me? Uh, we're back now. Yep. Okay. So you work with some, no worries. Uh, we'll just edit that out. So you work with some Spartan pros. Sorry. Continue. Yep. So I work with some Spartan pros, elite obstacle course racers, um, I work with ultra endurance athletes, uh, your typical kind of road racers, trail racers. Um, and then I, I also work, I do some programming for some CrossFit athletes to, to program their kind of aerobic capacity type work, but pretty much a lot of the work that I do is in the aerobic domain. Gotcha. So while we were setting up, uh, this, this other question kind of came to mind. Um, so do you have any interest in branching off into more of the strength coaching kind of arena as well so that you're, you're programming both the aerobic uh, exercise as well as the strength and conditioning or at least some sort of power lifting? Yeah, so I do program some complementary strength uh, training to the aerobic programming already as it is. Oh, cool. um, I don't awesome. do it for all of my athletes. Some of my athletes work with a separate strength and conditioning coach, and her name is Nikki mm-hmm. Sterlacy, and she's uh, based out of North Dallas Strength uh, right up there in Dallas, but, um, she works with them virtually. So we kind of do a a combo there for that too. But, um, you know, my, my passion really lies with programming endurance work. Um, I've been a personal trainer since 2008 and I used to work more in the uh, body composition, uh, kind of like fat loss, uh, bodybuilding type of, uh, atmosphere there. And Mm -hmm. uh, I've transitioned away from that pretty intentionally. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Um, so, uh, when it comes to like the, some specifics of, of, I guess, like your coaching philosophy, um, like how, how do you set up a program, let's say for just somebody who, uh, is like, what are the differences between somebody who's training for, um, like a Spartan race versus somebody who's training for, let's say a, an ultra marathon? Yeah. So my goal for both of them is to build their aerobic base, obviously. So there's some similarities and parallels. Uh, but what really changes if you look at the specificity? So as we get closer to the race or the, the competition or the meet or whatever it may be, the specificity changes a lot. So somebody who's going to have to like, let's say I, I'm working with uh, um, Billy Heatherly and and uh, also Victor Casada, who are both like Spartan elites and, and pros. And so for them, like we're working on ways to get them running compromised, running with heavy legs, um, running, being able to carry things, go from obstacle to obstacle and really just kind of beating them down. Whereas mm-hmm. maybe that ultra runner, as we get closer to the race, the, 
the long runs, the back-to-back long runs on the weekends or whatever it may be are going and the workouts are going to more suit the course that they're going to be racing on. So um, if somebody's doing like a timed loop, that's like a four mile loop and they're just doing it every hour on the hour. Well, their long runs might be just repeating that four mile loop, you know, for back-to-back days or 20 miles or whatever it is, whatever mm-hmm. they call for specifically. Um, so really the big difference is I want everybody to have a really big aerobic base. The vast majority of their work to come from um, easy aerobic work where we're looking at building capillary density, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for the for the ultra runner, maybe 20% of their work uh, mm-hmm. comes from a little bit higher intensity. So we follow 80-20 rule as a general guideline. And then mm-hmm. somebody like the Spartan racers, they do, or high rocks, they might do a little bit better on 70-30. Something very similar, though, in a lot of ways, because this, this is the principle in which it's founded on. Gotcha. Awesome. So how did you get into coaching? Like what kind of, what got you into that, that sort of, into the profession of, of coaching? Well, I think leadership is my biggest passion in life. And it's, I, I really do feel that it's my calling and it's something that I love. I, I love coaching an athlete more than I love competing myself. So it's like, I really love the process of training, but man, I love the process of coaching. And I knew that from a young age, you know, every team that I've ever been on, uh, even up through college soccer, I've been the captain of and, mm-hmm. and, and following college soccer as well. And, um, that has been pretty typical. I think it's just come really natural to me. That's something that I really love to do and something that I just research a lot on. So I think um, when I was working a job part-time in college, like being a personal trainer was kind of a no-brainer to me. Mm-hmm. And then as I grew in my sport and grew in my comfort of a- applying my practice, I think um, it just came natural to just keep working in the coaching. And, you know, pretty nice. pretty lame answer, but the truth is. <laughs> <I think. laughs> it's not lame. <laughs> I think that works. So – uh, a little bit off topic, but um, what's your favorite pro soccer team? Arsenal. Oh no way! Okay, all right yeah. now now it's totally fine that you're from Michigan. Um, how awful has this season been so far? <laughs> it's it's been bad, but the last five Premier League games have been oh, good. dude. Well, uh, the, they've been acceptable. The, yes, I'm so happy that Aubameyang is back to uh, putting the ball into the net and not. You know, over the bar or around yeah. the bar. Oh, thank goodness. But, yeah, uh, but how good is how good? Like, I guess the positive from the season, Saka, like how man. good is Saka? Dude. So good. And then, um, you know, how good is um, Emil Smith Rowe? Dude, like, those young guys are killing it right now. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. Oh, that's so there cool. Were, there were eight games there where I was just like, oh, man, do I even want to watch? And now yeah. I'm like, oh, yep. let's go. Yep. So Me too. it's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Not back in the top four yet, but uh, well on their way, hopefully. Work, work in progress, I hope, I hope for <laughs> Mikel Arteta's sake. Hey, they they all seem to love him. So yeah. really sad to see Ozil go, but, you know. Uh, he was one of my favorite players of all time. Him and Lucas Podolski. I still have my Arsenal Podolski jersey. So. Wow. Yeah. I, when I started watching Arsenal, it was, you know, it was him and Sanchez. And I was just like, these guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's now, really cool. I've been watching Arsenal since the Thierry Henry, you know, mm, the yeah. kid, and he was my he was my hero. So that's why I gravitated towards Arsenal a lot. He's he's the man. Oh, probably sure. probably one of the best. So, uh, back on track here. So, as I mentioned before, a lot of endurance athletes, um, if they're not if they're not used to lifting, if they've never done any serious lifting. Um, you know, they tend to see strength training in general, but especially powerlifting as something that would hurt their running, right? This is this is going to make me slower. This is going to make me bulky. This is – they don't want to do it in general, right? It's like, eh, this is just – no, I just – I want to hit the pavement and I want to go. So let's talk about um, your thoughts on the idea of – do all endurance athletes need to be lifting? Should they be lifting heavy? Should they be doing, uh, you know, power lifts? Should they be doing Olympic lifts? Like, what are your thoughts on, on that as it relates to endurance exercise and strength training? Are they, especially heavy strength training, are they mutually exclusive? Okay. So I think that's a great question. And my thoughts are that, no, they're not mutually exclusive. And I believe that they're really complementary. Um, I think it's a bit of a miss. Like, I, I think the biggest thing is like, First thing I'll go into the Olympic lifting. I think so many people can benefit from Olympic lifting. The question is, can they execute it properly? Mm-hmm. And so, if you can execute it properly, then it's then it's outstanding. 
Mm -hmm. um, if you have the coach or the resources to be able to do that, I think everybody can benefit from Olympic lifting being added to their plan. Um, where I think that there's a bit of a misnomer is, is people associate like lifting heavy with, with gaining a bunch of muscle mass or bulk or whatever it is. Um, in truth, I think it's, it's, it's not the case. If you look at more or less, I, I, the weight that I gained was very intentional, right? I didn't just like start working out and I was like, Oh, look at, I just gained 25 pounds. Like I, I did it mm -hmm. intentionally to, to support the, the powerlifting side of what I'm doing. Um, but I do think you can lift heavy, relatively speaking for what you're trying to do. And it can be really effective and practical for endurance. Um, if you look at like, you know, really how well somebody can do in a race from the 5k to the marathon, for example, uh, is predicated on how well you can maintain critical velocity or the speed at which your body is effectively, um, clearing lactate at the rate that it can clear it at without mm -hmm. going over that threshold. So if you, if you don't have the musculoskeletal structure to be able to hold up to the demands of that, you're going to fail. If you can't propel yourself forward effectively, you're going to fail sooner than you would have. If you can't hold up to the rigors of training high volume, then you're never going to be a really effective like 5k or beyond runner, truthfully. So mm -hmm. all those things are really necessary and they all come from having a really solid foundation. I think strength training can go a long way when it's executed properly. Um, but the, the notion that you're just going to start strength training, if it's targeted towards your, towards your sport, if it was based on heavy compound lifts and, um, accessories and stability and balance work, the thought that you're just going to turn into like an Olympia level Ronnie Coleman bodybuilder, is just not realistic. Right. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, if you want to do that, you're talking about spending time under tension, right? So I see a lot of coaches who frankly, uh, don't know what they're doing and they'll program for runners, maybe to do 20, 20 to 25 reps or. 12 to 15 reps and they'll say high reps, low weight, because you don't want to gain all that bulk. But mm -hmm. in truth, that time under tension is actually what's, you know, that's stimulating that hypertrophy. It's what's making you gain muscle. Um, mm -hmm. so not to say that lifting some, you know, really heavy weight won't make you gain muscle, but it won't be an excessive amount. So I think when people say, Hey, you need to be in this really heavy rate or this really, uh, I'm sorry, really high weight rate, like high rep, low weight range. I think it's a really bad idea because if you want to do that, if you want to just emulate what you're doing and running, just run more mm -hmm. like you, the way that you practice, it should be that the way you weight train should be the opposite. So if, if your primary thing is running and you're running 75 miles a week and most of it's slow, low intensity running, then in the weight room, you should be explosive because you need to stimulate those other muscle fibers. So yeah, yeah I, I think that they're naturally complementary. Yeah, no, I, I think the way that you put that is it's perfect, right? So the whole idea of of you're doing something very submax, you're doing it very slow, and then if you go into the weight room and then replicate that, you're not going to see much of a change. Like there's there there's no adaptational signal for the body to, to like do anything with, right? There's no change. So, and uh, the other thing that you mentioned was um, like your ability to handle the volume of training, the load, like, do you want to be resilient? Like you should want to be resilient. You should want to be strong. You should want to be able to like handle a ton of stress. It's really hard to do that. If you can barely like, you know, if you can barely do a body weight squat, oh, like, oh, I did 10 body weight squats today. Congratulations. You should try that with your body weight on the bar and then, you know, work up to that. Like, mm -hmm. then you're going to be really strong. You're going to be really resilient. Your immune system's going to, get an additional benefit from that. Like the aerobic training is really good, but, um, you know, your whole body's going to benefit from dealing with a brand new type of stress. Um, your, your ability to, to deal with impact force and eccentric loading is going to be extremely improved if you're used to being crushed by your weight on the bar, um, and slowly decelerating the weight down. Um, there's just so many benefits and I think that's, Man, it's... I I completely agree. Um, everything that you said was way more eloquently stated than what than what <laughs> I was saying. But uh, great technical work there on that. And I think um, you know I was reading a study. Not it wasn't even too long ago, but they took a bunch of sub two twenty five marathoners. So we're looking at looking at guys that are running five thirty pace and under for the marathon. Mm -hmm. And you can run twenty six point two miles at five thirty pace, right? But the, their average box jump was less than eighteen inches. Mm. Uh, and I, for, for me, like you're that good of an athlete where you're a borderline Olympic trials athlete and you can, and you, and you can run five thirty miles, but you can't box jump 18 inches. And then, and it's really a shorter yeah. career. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Yeah. And like part of that is, you know, like to get, to get to that elite level, 
you want everything pushing towards that uh, like very slow twitch, uh, like super dense mitochondrial, uh, uh, like concentration, high capillary density, like you mentioned before. But it's not going to hurt your running if you're strong. Like that's what I think that's one of the things that people miss. Like they're just like, oh, but if I do that, that's time away from running. I'm like, no, that's going to allow you to accumulate more volume. Like, so I don't know. I think that's one of those things that people, they miss the forest for the trees. Because yeah, like, I mean, I 100% can understand. Like if we're looking at, we're, but we're not talking to a bunch of Olympic level athletes here, right? We're talking about people who, who can't probably put in 130 miles a week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that they, it's not that they don't have time to add in strength training. It's just that they can't handle the volume of 130 miles a week. Because most people can't truthfully and aren't genetically predisposed to do so. Mm-hmm. So what are other ways that you can supplement and become a better athlete? Like you're not going to power lift and, and be an ultra runner. And then, and then also like set a 5k world record. It's just not going to happen. Um, but you can find some balance between both and be really effective in my opinion. I totally agree. Man, this is this is not even controversial, man. <laughs> we're no, not, well, I'm pretty we're pretty straight shooter. Which is, which is great. This is fantastic. So, I'm just so used to having to like. Uh, most of my athletes, they buy in pretty quick because they see the benefit. What's tough is trying to convince people who've never done any sort of strength training before, and like things have changed a lot. When I, you know, when I started working with, uh, with endurance athletes and specifically runners and triathletes, you know, 10 years ago, things were like, oh yeah, no, I hear, I hear about a lot more people doing some strength training. They're doing some, some, some squats and some hip hinges, but again, it's all lightweight and it's all very like the idea is if you lift heavy, you're going to get hurt. If you get hurt, then you can't run. So how, how do you, let's say somebody's coming to you and if, let's say it's an athlete that you are going to, uh, work in some strength and conditioning for, how quickly do you get them to the point where they're lifting, you know, five rep max, 10 rep max, or, or is that a focus or is it just, Hey, we've got to get you under something that feels heavy. Well, I mean, I think that, that it's a focus, but it's, it's obviously baby steps and anything. So the the biggest philosophy around my coaching I think that I subscribe to is it's consistency over time is going to be the most effective thing. And if you're hurt all the time, then we can't get that consistency and that's needed. Um, and the same thing goes for strength training as well. So I take a more conservative approach, but I mean, the, the first thing is, I mean, it depends on their level of experience, obviously, but if, if we can get them under the barbell, I'd, I'd love to see, like I, lo- I work with a lot of my athletes virtually. So the good thing now is we have so much technology that we can watch videos and we can see things and maybe make quick suggestions. So that's the biggest thing we want them to do. We want them to be doing the volume. We want them to be lifting heavy, but we want them to be doing it right first and foremost, because nothing's going to come from, um, you know, deadlifting with really poor form and, putting yourself at a higher risk for injury mm-hmm. because so, we're there to we're there to the strength training is pretty much added in for most people aren't going to compete in strength sports so it's mm-hmm. added in to, to make them more effective runners to make them healthier runners uh to make them happier and if we have them hurt all the time then we're not doing our job gotcha yeah that's that can be a an interesting situation where you work in a brand new variable like squatting deadlifting and then quickly that can become the focus. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is a supplement to make the main thing better. This is not the new thing. This is not the new main thing. So um, I think that's super important. Uh, so we, we've touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw this, throw this one out anyway, just cause I, I liked the way that I worded it. <laughs> How does lifting for absolute strength improve your ability to compete and train for very sub-max events like ultra running? Well, I think like if you go back to a race that I did in July, it was six hours long, and it was around a cement track. Um, three hours in one direction, three hours in the other, under the searing kind of blacktop hard. It wasn't like a true track. It was like a blacktop track, so it was very firm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really hot. You're exposed to the elements. Um, 
you know, when your form starts to break down in, in running, so aside from biomechanical drills, the biggest thing you can do is obviously uh, have the strength or strength endurance to be able to maintain that form. And I think that was really important for me late in the race. My last mile of that uh, six hours, my last mile was, uh, I think, under 640 pace, so 637 maybe. So, mm-hmm. you know, six hours in, I was still running in the 630s. Wow. Uh, and I think a part of that is because I wasn't running compromise. Like my body wasn't breaking down as fast. I had, um, really, you know, a lot of strength, like lower leg strength, obviously that's really important for stability and things like that. And that allows you to carry. So that's just one example of me, but I see with my athletes all the time in the same situations, you know, if you're going to be out running in the mud in the Hills for up to a hundred miles or even longer, some of them, you better be physically capable of, of handling it because aerobically you may be able to handle it, but, but can you handle the up and down and the Hills and the mud and the conditions? And I think you mm-hmm. can simulate a lot of those things, uh, with a barbell squat, or you can simulate a lot of those things with a, with just thrashing your legs with some goblet squats, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's your typical, like, what is your personal, uh, training program look like as far as, uh, training days, days off, what's, what's a basic week look like? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it varies a lot based on what I'm trying to do, but just as an example, like right now, so we're getting ready for a high rocks, high rocks competition, which is like, uh, eight K of running and then eight functional fitness exercises. So I'm still doing a three day powerlifting split. So just focused around the focused around the squat bench press and the deadlift. Um, mm-hmm. and then I'm working on three days worth of like Metcon or metabolic conditioning work. So like higher intensity stuff, uh, to kind of keep up with the functional fitness demands of the event. And then I'm mm-hmm. running six, seven days a week. And I don't, I don't recommend that everybody run seven days a week, but, um, I, I do just cause I've been doing it for so long and it's just going to vary based on the person, what they can do because of my job is very flexible with new balance. They're very understanding. I get most of my coaching done in the morning or at night as well before work or after work, I'm mm-hmm. able to effectively train like a professional athlete and not everybody has that luxury. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I understand that. So right now for me, it's seven days a week with basically three heavy strength days, three kind of shorter Metcon days, and then, you know, five to seven days of running, depending. Nice. And so how do you, how do you program in, uh, enough recovery to make sure that you're adapting to all of that training? Well, again, I mean, I think the biggest thing is like, what I always say is like, you know, on my biggest days, I'm probably training three hours a day at most two and a half hours a day. So, and then split up usually into two sessions and so I always think it's not always just about what you do for the 21 or for the, for the, the two hours a day. It's what you do for the 22 other hours in the day. And so I'm making sure to get a good night's sleep. I'm doing things to kind of like hack my life to be able to sleep better. Obviously it means turning trying to go to sleep earlier. I think it, it doesn't take a lot of strength to wake up early and train. It takes a lot of strength to be able to go to bed early at night. Mm. So, you know, to get enough sleep is important, you know, to invest in, like, I look at this as like something I love and it's something that's obviously a career for me too. So I'm not afraid to invest in things like whether it's a hypervolt or, or different things like that. And and I have the luxury of having all these recovery tools that really help. And then the fact that I just work from home, like I'm in my home office right now. So like I can recover. I, I have a foam roller right here next to me. I have a hypervolt next to me. So I can do all these things that I need to do. And I'm very fortunate to have that. So that's why I'm able to train at the volume I am. But I always make sure athletes are focused on what they're doing with their with their spare time, their recovery time. Yeah, you if you don't make it a priority and if you're not disciplined about it, then then you're going to complain about being injured or not 100%. being able to do what you want to do. So, yep. um, so have you noticed that uh, you're able to uh, compete at like a threshold level? Uh, by doing less training since you've incorporated more powerlifting or more heavier lifting? Well, it depends. I mean, some, something like if you're going to run a hundred mile race or something like that, like it's pretty dependent on having the volume and the time on your feet to have success in the event. Um, but I do think like, I actually train a lot less than, than my counterparts that compete at the same level as me. Cause sometimes I have a little bit of a less is more philosophy in a lot of ways. Like I don't always think more is better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that because of, you know, if you look at, there are a lot of studies that show if you look at athletes, um, endurance athletes, let's say if they're tapering for a marathon, 
somebody with a higher proportion of fast twitch muscle fibers needs a longer taper than someone with slow twitch muscle fibers. Uh, and I kind of apply that into my training because I think it's applicable in a lot of places. Like I typically taper longer for events and have more success in doing that. So yeah, I do, I do think that because I train in so many different planes that I, I'm able to uh, kind of recover better because I'm not taxing the same system all the time, but then mm-hmm. also get away with doing a little bit less. So like, I don't, I've never been someone to run really high mileage. My highest ever mileage week was, 95 miles, but I've run my best races on 60 to 65 miles a week, even at yeah. really long distances. I hear you. Yeah, in cross country uh, in college, I never went more than, like, I think 65. At that point, like, I wasn't lifting, and I'd get really, really fragile. And I felt really frail if I went any any higher than that because my body was just like, mm we're done here. We're not, we're not going to deal with this. So I can totally appreciate that. Um, my, my, I guess general philosophy is, uh, and it's, it's individual specific, but in general, I think you can probably get away with a lot less volume of training if you are more athletic, right? Like if you're, if you're more well-rounded, you said you're training in, you know, more than one plane of motion. Like if, if you are, working these separate planes you're in the sagittal plane you're in the frontal plane you're not just going forward or if you're a track athlete going forward and and you know leaning left basically if you're like working all these other planes uh i kind of the way i described is like the sphere of overuse injury like the more you work in multiple planes the further out that sphere gets um if you're only working in if you're just going straight, if you're just running straight and you're not doing anything else, then that's that overuse injury bubble just kind of gets closer and closer and closer to you. So um, the more you're you're working those planes and like the easier it's going to be for your body to not only adapt because <laughs> the body likes variety, but um, uh, when it comes to certain things, I guess. But yeah, like it's just you're not overloading. You're not sending the the same signal and it's like cranked up to a level 10 where your body's like, okay, I get it, but I just can't deal with all of that signal right now. Um, yep. so anyway, that's and that. So go it's ahead. kind of funny that you mentioned that about the athleticism because I've been criticized by my, by my peers at times for, for appearing lazy. I mean, obviously they don't see what I'm doing at home. They don't see the recovery I'm doing. They see the amount of the volume that I'm training, mm-hmm. uh, relatively speaking. And, I don't see it as that. I see this being like preservative to the longevity of my career in a lot of ways. And if, if I can, if I can still get adaptations on running 65 miles a week and, and do that really effectively and add these other things in that are a lot of fun for me, then I see that as being really effective. I don't see it as being lazy. I see it as being efficient and there's a difference. And, and I try to employ that with my athletes too, when it's applicable. Yeah. Minimum effective dose is how you spread things out long-term. So I, I've got a buddy of mine who, uh, in college, he was a shot put and discus thrower. And um, there's times where he's come to see me and, you know, well, like he knew way more about lifting when we were in college because he was doing that all the time. Uh, he was all American in the shot. And things have changed because he's uh, like working in finance and this is what I do every day. Like, so, um, but it's just funny that. Uh, when, when I'm working with him, like before COVID he'd come and visit and we'd work on his squat and we'd work on his deadlift and all this stuff. Cause he still loves to lift. And I'll be like, Hey, here's what I'd want you to do. Here's how I'd program the next, you know, four to six weeks. And he's like, dude, this is way too easy. And I'm like, no, 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 you're going to adapt to this. So adapt to this so that you can then take it up a notch and get in get the benefit of that and ride that wave as long as you can and then step it up. And he's like, why would I, why would I squat 200 pounds when I can squat 400 pounds? And I'm like, because you'll now you're doing a brand new movement pattern because we've reprogrammed your squat and you're going to get stronger doing it this way with 200 pounds so that down the road, when you get to 400 pounds, you'll still be progressing. You're still going to be moving and trending upward. And he's like, ah, I get that, but I'm just going to go home and squat 400 pounds. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Never mind. <laughs> no, I, I definitely know the struggle. And I can't say that I haven't been guilty of it from time to time as well. You know, sometimes yeah. like 
Nikki programs a lot of my strength work. And sometimes she's like, well, we're going to do, we're going to do these with, and I'm like, why, why do I need to do that? Like if I, if I'm deadlifting 435, like, why do I need to deadlift 285? (laughs) Why do I need to do accessories? But, but ultimately, you know, it's about being coachable and learning from it. So I get it though. Yeah. That's tough. It's tough when, you know, when you know enough to be like, that's not how I would do it. But you're like, no, no, no. I'm paying somebody who they've got my best interest in mind. They're they're taking out my ego. There, there's no emotion here. I just, just got to do it. That's that's really hard to do. But the best coaches have coaches. So, hundred percent. So, uh, so you you've done a little bit of podcasting. Yep. Yep. So yep. T- Tell us a little bit about some of the podcasts you've been on as well as your podcast. Oh, I've been on – so, yeah, I've been on a lot of podcasts. I mean, I can't I, I can't remember all that I've been on, but I've I've been on a number of them. Rambling Runner, um, a few times on that. I've been on the Brock Cannon podcast. I mean, I, I don't know. I've probably been on, honestly, over probably five dozen podcasts at the at this point. But, um, nice. but I do have my own podcast, yeah. And so I co-host it with Michael Benvenuto, who is like one of my best friends and uh, athletes, and then also Nikki Sterlacy, the strength and conditioning coach. And so um, we're getting ready to come out with our season two right now. So we're available on iTunes and Spotify on that. And, you know, we're basically just – that whole podcast is geared about just finding the strongest version of yourself. So maybe it doesn't mean um, – you know, how much can you squat or deadlift or how fast can you run, but just whatever that is for you and, and how you can be the best version of yourself, because that's something I've been obsessed with for a long time. And it's not so much like, you know, last year I I ran the sixth fastest time in North America in the six hour distance. And that was cool, but that was really a byproduct of me trying to figure out how I could bring out the best and strongest and most resilient version of myself. Um, you know, early on in my life, I struggled with anxiety and depression and I always thought of myself as really weak. And mm-hmm. I guess this has been some journey of me, like, I don't want to say overcompensating, but me proving to myself that I am strong. And mm-hmm. so that's what this, you know, vision has kind of turned into a podcast and it's been really successful. And we've had a number of guests and experts on, but we've just also had a really big, you know, really big following. I think we had over a hundred thousand listens last, last year in 2020. Wow. That's so, awesome, man. Congratulations yeah. on that. And that's run strong. No, it's uh, called Finding Strong. Finding Strong. Yep. Awesome. All right, y'all. Go check that one out. Um, for sure, man. So uh, you mentioned a little bit about uh, anxiety, depression, stuff like that. So um, I've, I've seen some of your posts a little bit about, uh, about mental health. What are some things that you can share with us that we can uh, – so that we're all more aware and that we're all uh, – you know, we can either learn something from, uh, from, you know, the hurdles that you've had to go over or the, so that we can be aware of uh, those around us. Well, I think, I think the biggest thing is like, if, if, if you are struggling or you know somebody who's struggling with anxiety, depression, or whatever kind of mental, um, mental illness or issues they may be struggling with, you're certainly not alone. And I think it's, it's really common. And I think that a lot of times in the past, there's been the stigma around people with like anxiety or depression that, that they're, they're somehow weak or, or complainers or whiners or some, whatever it is, there's been a bad stigma around it. And I think the more and more that we talk about it, we can kind of defeat that stigma and say like, well, you know what? I struggle with anxiety and depression, but I'm really capable. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. And I, and I like to lead by example. And I know that everybody is capable of, of doing really insane things and it might not all be the same thing, but people are really capable. And I think, so it's time to remember that, like, even if you do struggle with anxiety or depression, it, it, it doesn't define you, but it can make you stronger, you know, overcoming mm-hmm. that. It's like, if, if, if I dealt with some of the worst anxiety that I've ever felt and it was crippling, like when I have three miles left to go in a race, like it's not even comparable. Like that three miles is cake. It's nothing. You just keep mm-hmm. moving forward, you know, and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a finish line in sight, but sometimes when you're dealing with anxiety and depression, it doesn't feel like there's a finish line. And mm-hmm. and so like being able to, to deal with it and cope and overcome makes you strong. And so I don't want to sound cliche and say, well, I'm really happy that I had to deal with it because it sucks, frankly. But as a silver lining, I do believe it's made me strong and resilient is a big part of, where I am today and, and how I can be effective as an athlete and a coach. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, man. Like the, thankfully, you know, uh, we're in, we're in a day and age where people are a lot more willing to talk about that, which, you know, 
that we should be, we should be talking about it. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I try um, to be open book with it. Like, you know, I'm always, so if anybody ever drop, I'm like, I'm not a therapist by any means. So, uh, mm-hmm. don't, don't uh, mistake that, but, but you're not alone, you, you know, and if you have any, anything, just drop me a DM. I'm always happy to just talk about it. Okay. Any questions awesome. specifically about my anxiety or depression? I'm always happy to talk. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, we'll shift gears a little bit here. Uh, one of your latest posts I think was about goals that you have for 2021. Yeah. Um, so talk us through some of those. Cause I seeing other people put their goals up like that gets me fired up. Nick Simmons. Uh, do you know who that guy is? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Just checking. Uh, <laughs> he's another guy that people used to perceive as like lazy. You know, he'd be like, he'd write in his training log, like, just like, didn't train today and went fishing with my boys. And then like, wins, you know, or goes the Olympics. So it's like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I definitely love his style. Yeah. But so he, he just recently put up, you know, his goals for 2021. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to, uh, I did a podcast, the first one of this year where I was just like, Hey, here, here are some of some of my goals for 2021. So I think it's always a good idea to put those out there and to, you know, to make at least something public that way, you know, people can hold you accountable to that. So, uh, can you share some of your 2021 goals with us? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think some of those were a little bit, uh, like deceptive in the way I worded them. Like I was like, you know, I want to run my fifth straight year or I guess actually my sixth straight year of running sub five minutes in the mile. And people were messaging me like, surely you have to be faster than five minutes in the mile. I'm like, no, I, I'm going to run faster than five minutes a mile. Like I ran 4:39 last year. But my point is that like this would be the sixth year of doing it. It's really exciting for me, especially while balancing powerlifting. Um, mm-hmm. But really, I mean, you know, my goals like I put around some powerlifting numbers around like obviously a total like that total would would roughly uh, have me do pretty well at nationals depending on on who shows. So like it's kind of predicated on me competing in nationals in November. Um, and, and doing really well, like I've come close in certain events, but I've never actually been a national champion. And I, I feel like I have a shot in powerlifting. Um, mm-hmm. I see myself as a better talent in powerlifting than I do in running. Um, just probably just due to genetic predisposition and body type and structure and where my strengths lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to continue to do both at a really high level. Um, and, and I think that this is a really exciting year for me in powerlifting because I think most of those goals are centered around nationals. So I'd, I'd really like to pull over 500 pounds in the uh, deadlift, which I think will, will, will come pretty quickly for me. Um, and I'd like to, you know, I'd like to, I'd like definitely like to squat over 400, but I, I see myself squatting, you know, in the next few weeks, but I see myself squatting 455 probably at some point this year. Nice. Um, then benching somewhere 285 to 300. So for my weight class, it's, just like maybe slightly above average at the national level, but not much, but you know, just to do that. And if I can put that total together, I think I can be really competitive at the national level. So that's really what that goal was predicated around. And then I want to be able to, to win an ultra marathon efficiently this year. You know, last year, I think I ran a hundred straight days where, you know, right around the time that quarantine started, I think I ran a hundred, 112 days in a row. And I averaged 12.4 miles a day over that period of time. Wow. And that's a lot in the aerobic bank, but it's also a lot mentally for me to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, I get burnt out pretty easy, hence the uh, need to do a bunch of different things all the time. Mm-hmm. And that took a huge mental toll on me. And then it, it ended in me running that that uh, track, that six hour track race that really beat the heck out of me. So this year <laughs> I want to I want to run an ultra and, and win an ultra, um, but I want to do it really like really efficiently. Maybe if I can do something 45 to 50 miles a week with a lot of cross training and metabolic conditioning. Nice. Awesome. Those are the big things for me. They're kind of broad, but, uh, I don't yeah. put all my goals out there because, uh, people sometimes interpret goals the wrong way and they think it's like cocky or audacious. And I don't want to give anybody that. I just believe in myself. So I, I, I keep some of my goals for myself. I think. No, I, I did <laughs> most, most of my goals, uh, that I put out are like, okay, like people, people aren't going to, uh, People will understand. People won't understand the goals that I, yeah, keep to myself, which is why I keep them to myself. So I think that's good. Hundred um, percent. One time I put some, like I put something about a goal that I had, which I accomplished last year anyway. And somebody is like, basically like, well, who do you like? Who do you think you are? But I'm like, if, you, if you're mad about my, that goal, doesn't take anything away from you. You can have your own goal too. And if my goal is like to do better in a race that you're in, then you then make it your goal to beat me. I don't know what to say. Like, you know, like, so I just try to avoid that now. because I don't want to be controversial. Like 
<laughs> if my goal is to win and if your goal is to win, then you better beat me. That's how I feel. So yeah, I don't want to offend anybody else though. So I just, <laughs> it's a lot of sensitive people out right now. For sure. Got to be careful with your goals, man. Goals hurt. That's people. beauty about competition though. Right. Like about a race, like if you, you guys start and finish, if you start at the same time and you finish in the same place, whoever comes across the line first, unless they cheated, uh, can't take it away. So that I just like yep. to let that do the talking. There can only be one winner. So not everybody can win, unfortunately. Um, one thing that I forgot to bring up, uh, so we can we can cover it real quick, is what's your diet like? Ah, so that's that's something like obviously like all the things I do that that has changed a lot. You know, for a long time I was on a really plant based uh, diet where uh, I mean I was effectively just eating a whole foods plant based vegan diet, and uh, ultimately I felt that while it was a great cause and it's really great for animal rights. I didn't feel that it was, and arguably humans can get away with it. I didn't feel it was sustainable for long-term recovery and growth as an athlete. And that mostly had to come down to like, I'm not some kind of vegan chef. And basically I was throwing together like garbanzo beans, and uh, foods with a lot of micronutrients that hit the macronutrients I was generally looking for. But if you do it every single day, like it starts to lack creativity. So with all the meal prep services and all the things and all the, available options you know i've kind of went to a mostly still a plant forward or plant centric diet because i think that plant should be like the base of everybody's diet for Mm -hmm. for health and longevity um Mm -hmm. but now i've begin you know i've started to add in uh meats again i try to get meat that is sustainably sourced Mm -hmm. um in a lot of ways so like wild caught salmon things like that i would and 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 pasture raised like the true pasture raised eggs like the orange yolks like the real Mm -hmm. ones you know, those are, those are a really big focus for me, but, uh, more or less, I don't track my macros just cause I've been around it long enough to where I can just eyeball things and know that it's pretty good. I'm not eating to, to be a bodybuilder anymore. Like I'm not mm-hmm. stepping on stage ever again. So that's not my focus. My focus is just to perform well. And by doing that, I think I can more or less put things together with just a moderate amount of protein, moderate amount of carbs and moderate amount of fat, to be honest. I think too many people too often shy away from fat in their diet. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes with big consequences because it's important for hormone regulation. It's important for uh, recovery, the ability to train. I, I, I think it's important for body composition, frankly. And uh, so, yep. yeah, I guess more or less, like if I had to guess, I'd say I'm somewhere around 50% carbs, 30% protein on any given day and 20% fat to 25 and 25 something like that gotcha nothing too crazy but not a standard american diet by any means perfect do you have like a like a rough guess about how many calories you're consuming every day yeah um so if i'm running like leading up to the powerlifting meet i wasn't running very much and that wasn't due to the powerlifting meet that was because i was recovering from covid and i was having trouble uh running like Mm -hmm. aerobically i was having some issues I strength trained the whole time through COVID and I just worked out from my home gym when I knew I had COVID, but I didn't, I didn't run at all. And then when I came back to running, so it was like, you know, I was quarantined for two weeks or whatever it was. When I came back to running aerobically, I just didn't feel like it was there. And I only had a few weeks left until the meet. So I figured just cut it till after the meet. Um, so then my calories were lower, probably around 24, 2300, 2400. And for mm-hmm. reference, I'm, I'm about 168 to 170 pounds. Um, but you know, like if I'm if I'm fully getting into the swing of the training split that I just told you about, you know, my calories might be somewhere around 32 to 3,400 calories a day. Gotcha. And but that's not something you're like obsessively tracking. You're just Never. like, eh, okay, cool. That's Never. Awesome. I mean, I can I can look in the mirror and say like, you know, if I'm, whoa, I'm getting out of control here, or like mm-hmm. I can step on the scale and be like, yeah, it's a little bit lighter than I want to be, or yeah, it's a little bit heavier than I want to be. But overall, I just try to fuel myself with a really good um just whole foods diet that's like 80 percent really good and then 20 percent of like a little bit of stuff that i like and some beer and some chocolate um but overall you know i've had a really bad relationship in the in the past with food and i think that became from one trying to look like a really skinny endurance runner so i could look the part and feel like i belonged and then Mm -hmm. two just uh competing in bodybuilding it gives you a a really strained relationship with food and body composition and Mm -hmm. how i looked at the on a bodybuilding stage or when i was a national level mpc competitor uh, in physique i will i will never look like that again especially in the sport and for quite good reason i mean that's not sustainable and that's not efficient for performance so it's like it's been a little bit for me to go over that hurdle but now i just really eat by feel perfect yeah man you gotta feed the machine you gotta make sure that you're 
putting gas in the tank and that doesn't like you don't always have to audit and check all the time um but yeah it's good that you've got a you know you've got a, a, a gauge basically like ah, i know about how much i'm getting and obviously you, you you've got a decent feeling for how much you're eating if you're hungry i'm sure you eat if you're not hungry yeah. then you probably stop so yeah that's the thing i mean <laughs> there will be times like i don't fast intentionally by any means but there'll be times I don't eat till noon on a given day and I don't question it. Like if I'm just not hungry before noon, I just won't eat it. And there'll be times after I'm done training that I probably put down like 1500 calories, but I mm-hmm. do what I do what I need to be able to go do that same thing the next day. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to, so I think that's the biggest, the biggest focus. And if you have a general idea of portion control and sizes after you've been doing it for so long, I think it becomes really easy. And, um, to me, like measuring each calorie and macro all of the time can't, if you're doing that forever, to me, it leads to like, at least in my personality, eating disorders. So I stay away from yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Either end of the spectrum where you have absolutely no idea how much you're eating or what you're uh-huh. eating. That's not good. Being so obsessed and like, uh, like it's, it's like totalitarian. Like you're like, it has to be weighed. has to be like, nah, that's, that's way too much structure. Like there's a time yeah. and a place for it. So. Yeah. I don't know how you could even do it. Like when I was a bodybuilder, I was taking food, like a food scale with me to restaurants and stuff. And I was like putting chicken on the, like how, like that's not even <laughs> my family, my family, my friends probably thought I was crazy. Yeah. That's you know, not enjoyable. Like, no, it's not. It's too uptight. And I guess at the end of the day, like at any given time now, I'll just take like, uh, like Nikki, my strength coach and I, um, we just, we just prep some food together. So like, we just made this like grass, organic grass fed beef chili with like, um, sweet potato carrots, of like a bean medley and just like, you know, onions and tomatoes. And like, we know that there's more or less eight to 10 servings in there. Like we just scoop it out and like over the course of time, it'll balance out, but it's full of nutrients. It's, it's full of protein. It's full of really good complex carbohydrates and antioxidants. And like, Mm -hmm. that's right there. That's enough. Like, so just small things like that can go a long way. I love it, man. So, uh, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to follow you, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, so Instagram, I'm the most responsive. You could uh, f- uh, reach out to me at Bottenhorn Running. So it's just my last name and then running. Um, or on my website at www.markbottenhorn.com. And then our uh, podcast is on Spotify, iTunes. I think it's on Google Podcasts. But um, any of those is called Finding Strong. But you can reach out to me uh, probably one of those two ways, the most effective. My uh, website has contact information. You can reach out to me through that or just Instagram DM is usually the easiest stuff. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This has been awesome. It's been really good to chit chat with you. Um, I've been looking forward to it since we uh, since we started planning it, and I'm I'm really glad that we got to do it. And hopefully, one of these days, I'll be able to uh, come out and maybe do a little bit of running with you, maybe a little bit of lifting. Who knows? Yeah, it's great. We're right in the area, man. I'm sure I have so much that I could learn from you. I'd love to do that. But I, I honestly think we I'd love and we'll talk to this maybe more offline, but I'd love to get you on our podcast. I think you have a lot to offer with your expertise and I think that Sweet, it could be outstanding. I can't do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would love to, man. All right, cool, man. Well, that good. Uh thanks again for having me, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Alrighty, y'all. Thanks for watching and listening and stay tuned for next week's episode. Adios.